Hello, and welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is uh, Omicron update number two. Today is January 16th of 2022. We're going to follow up on last week's Omicron update because the data is coming out very quickly, and we're going to try and parse through what is actually happening out there in the world today with Omicron, hospitalization, death, and all of the various other pieces of information regarding vaccination, boosters, and the alike. It's amazing how much changes dramatically over a two-week period. All the vaccines uh, that are out there between the mRNAs and the non-mRNA vaccines like Johnson & Johnson are no longer working well to prevent transmission of SARS-2 variant Omicron. The good news remains that the vaccines do continue to prevent bad outcomes, severe disease, and death, and that should really be the biggest message to everyone out there. Please get vaccinated if you have no prior COVID immunity and or have had natural disease but still have major risk factors including advanced age and other comorbid diseases. It turns out that Omicron is about 91% less risky than Delta for severe disease based on recent publications. However, 9% comparative residual risk in over 100 million unvaccinated people is still a very large number. And that will cause a significant increase in hospitalizations nationwide for these sick people. That's a problem. North Carolina, where I live, is now in a huge wave, as is the rest of the country. But I've not heard of any of our local hospitals being significantly overwhelmed. According to the latest data that I was looking at online, North Carolina has roughly between 60 and 90% of the COVID beds filled in our hospitals. If you look at the overall data, there has been a dramatic increase in the seven-day moving average of cases in the U.S. in recent weeks owing to Omicron's incredible infectious activity. We hit over 800,000 cases in a day, which is somewhat mind-boggling. It is outcompeting Delta based on the uh, current data showing that 95 plus percent, somewhere close to 98 percent of the cases being identified now are Omicron. Um, the seven-day moving average for deaths has gone up, but that is not going up at the same rate as hospitalizations and or infections. Just remember still that if you had two doses of the mRNA vaccine or had previous natural infection and survived, you have a very, very, very small risk of significant hospitalization and therefore death with either Delta or Omicron in the future. However, you have to remember that comorbid disease and advanced age can change any of those understandings. The big deal now is that if you have not had Omicron, you are going to get it sometime in the next six months to a year um, because, you know, the vaccines are not working and prior immunity will wane for Omicron. Uh, in the United States right now, we're roughly at about 65 million known cases and over 850,000 deaths. The other day I was talking to my partner, Wayne Kuntz, who is in his 80s and has seen many, many different disease outbreaks over his career. And he was telling me the other day that nature has vaccinated the United States with Omicron since we couldn't do it ourselves. He was present during the measles outbreaks in Dallas, Texas during his training years, and he noted that this feels closer to that than anything else in his career. For me, it sounds like he's correct. Everyone will see this virus sooner or later this year. Hopefully, since we cannot vaccinate this virus into submission like measles, this will eventually endemically turn into a seasonal influenza-type disorder where we have some a priori immunity, either through natural infection or disease from, I'm excuse me, or vaccination, 
and that will eventually lead to less death overall. But those are fingers crossed. No idea what's coming. From the last COVID newsletter, I said, Omicron is highly transmissible and cruising throughout the country, especially in the colder states. We are at the highest daily case rate since the pandemic started. This week, 486,000 cases in a single day were noted. The case number is actually much higher due to uncounted positive at-home tests. However, the blessing is that death and hospitalization rates are not following at all. Therefore, we need to keep our focus on hospitalizations and not case number. So that's why I said last time. That's no longer true. Hospitalizations are flying up now. Some expected this mess with hospitalization. I didn't. Between the reports from South Africa and Europe, I expected many cases but minimal to moderate hospital needs. Yes, it is mostly mild. However, with such insane volumes of infected persons, we are seeing a large cohort of unvaccinated vaccine-weighted individuals getting admitted to the hospital. This truly is now threatening some hospitals, and that is very unfortunate. These hospital numbers were not seen in South Africa and other countries. I'm humbled. I believe this to be a marker of two issues now. One, relative level of poor health in the United States. Two, level of citizens that are unvaccinated without previous moderate natural infection. So these are big issues that are changing real time, real fast. To boost. You know, my original thoughts were that there was no obvious need anymore with the current vaccines failing to protect against Omicron infection and the benefit of natural infection or vaccine-induced immunity against hospitalization and death in general. However, at this scale of illness, the booster may lower morbidity and case volume somewhat, which could help the hospitals, although this is speculation. The vaccines are still incredibly valuable to prevent death if one is completely unvaccinated or vaccinated with risk factors. Omicron is still hospitalizing the vaccinated and at-risk groups primarily, advanced age, immune, compromised, obese patients, hypertensive, diabetic, and with heart disease. However, it is the unvaccinated group that is the highest risk. My friends in the hospitals tell me that the cases in the ICU are all unvaccinated. Thus, if you are unvaccinated and not previously infected, you have significant risk of death with Omicron, right? And Delta is still out there to some extent. So take-home point here is very clear. Please, please, please vaccinate. Omicron is spreading like chicken pox, with a reproductive rate of greater than eight and cruising throughout the country almost everywhere. For every one person infected, they infect eight, who infect 64, who infect 4,096, who infect 32,768, and on and on and on exponentially. Yikes. That is incredibly infectious, unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime. We are at the highest daily case rate since the pandemic started. You know, we're seeing, uh, I think last week it said over 800,000 cases in a single day, and that's becoming a seven-day moving average. Those numbers are unseen in the pandemic. The case numbers actually remain probably even much higher than that now because of the uncounted at-home tests. Tons of people are testing positive that I'm aware of at home, and that's not getting published anywhere in these case data. We are possibly heading towards herd immunity version based on this epic volume of disease, which appears to have possibly happened in South Africa and now England as their case volumes are dropping fast. We are already seeing declines in case numbers in major cities that got hit hard early, like New York City. However, the blessing is that while hospitalization rates are rising rapidly, they are not associated with the same volume of death yet based on the country's 68.5% double-dose vaccine status and natural T and B cell immunity uh, to prevent previous natural infection. 
by the numbers, 31.5% of 330 million people is still 104 million people at risk for a bad outcome due to being unvaccinated. If we assume a death rate somewhere around a half a percent based on modern medicine's treatments, this is just a guesstimate, then we will see another 520,000 deaths still to come if all get infected this time around. You know, the vaccines could prevent most of these deaths. That is, the, again, news to use in this situation. We have a lot of folks out there who probably are at significant risk for a bad outcome. That is a problem. You know, we know the vaccines no longer are working well to prevent transmission of SARS-2 Omicron. You know, this was expected based on the mutations that were seen in the spike protein a few weeks ago. This is abundantly clear now in your local environment and from the reams of case data, boosters are offering no major protection that I can see visibly, but this may not be true on a population level, according to some experts. I have many friends and colleagues that have been infected despite three shots of the mRNA vaccine, and they transmitted to their family members as well. The good news remains that the vaccines still prevent most bad outcomes, which is the really important and really only thing that we really should care tremendously about. And that you do have milder disease when infected if you are boosted. Based on how surprising the last two weeks shift in hospital volume is, I reached out to Dr. Danny Benjamin for comment. And he had this to say, there is a big difference in boosters. One, across age strata, it is estimated as of January 1st of this year that two shots provides approximately 30% reduction in infection with Omicron. Three shots provide substantially more protection to prevent infection, with some indication that such protection might be as high as 80% in the first 12 weeks after boosting. Given the number of infections in Americans every day and what is going to happen to hospitals in one to two weeks, this is very important. Two, he states, yes, Omicron is less severe, but math is hard. If there is 30% reduction in severity and you have 10 times as many cases, the hospitals will be in worse shape than this time last year. So item number one for people at near zero risk of hospitalization is important, even if all it does is delay infection until March or April, where the supercharge effect of boosters on infection will likely start to subside. Number three, boosters also make a big difference in hospitalization on the population scale. Even if there's only a 10% relative reduction in hospitalization with booster for Omicron, when the impact is on 300 million people, that is a big get. Finally, quality of life. If you prefer to suffer with your COVID infection, limit yourself to two doses. If you prefer an asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic course, get a booster. And again, that's for my friend, Danny Benjamin. So what about a flip side argument? Well, Dr. Vinay Prasad, who's been writing uh, on a blog and in news media for quite some time on the West Coast, wrote, quote, putting these three studies together, what is the conclusion? Two doses of vaccine does nothing or almost nothing to, stars to stop symptomatic SARS-CoV-2. Three doses barely does anything, and the effect will likely attenuate over time. Finally, as the number of exposures increases from 2 to 22 to 202, the cumulative probability of infection will approach 1. Note, this is not an argument about the benefits of vaccination for the individual vaccines. Likely, as evidence shows, they still have great protection against severe disease. Instead, this is an argument about the effects of vaccination on symptomatic diseases and some good portion of transmission. Conclusion, you cannot contain the viral spread of Omicron by boosting. Booster mandates make no sense for young people, working people, hospitals, anywhere. 
young people will only be, at best, slightly less likely to spread for a short period of time, but the epidemic waves will continue over to overtake them. Boosting should happen in populations where it further reduces severe disease and death, a.k.a. older and vulnerable people. Focus on that and let college kids off the hook. As always, I try to provide multiple views to the questions at hand, so there you go, with one from Dr. Danny Benjamin and a flip side argument from Dr. Prasad. Okay, you know, for me, hopefully we're hurtling toward herd immunity on some level. We're testing as many as 50% positives in our clinic, and we're testing a lot of people in the last few weeks. Therefore, at that high of a positive rate, with that much infection going on, we're going to see everyone get infected at some point this year, kids, adults, everyone. We may and probably will hit a 90% required infected level to be at some form of herd immune blockade. The price may be high for the unvaccinated, and that is going to be tragic. We are still absolutely in a different world now with milder variant coupled to mostly non-SARS-2 naive population that has robust T and B cell immunity uh, that can tackle these viral variants. Again, it is Omicron has evaded a lot of this stuff, but it hasn't, you know, stopped it from being able to recognize it early enough to prevent bad outcomes if you've seen the virus before and or been vaccinated. I restate that the big issue right now appears to be that the Omicron variant is still affecting the unvaccinated in a significantly negative way. This is somewhat unexpected based on reports from other countries, but we have a different population in this country based on our health. Last week, I stated that unless some unimaginable change occurs via novel mutation or some unforeseen event, we should be heading in the right direction for a normal life with COVID now. This may still hold out to be true after the pain of this massive wave burns out, But, you know, COVID is endemic now. It is here to stay. Hopefully it will continue to become less deadly over time. But these are all guesses. Fingers crossed. Omicron's infectiousness is putting a massive strain in the healthcare system due to the lack of healthcare-based workers on the job who are ill, coupled to unexpected volumes of hospital admissions. With so many people testing positive and needing to quarantine from work, we are struggling to keep effective workflows and production that could have serious consequences in the hospital and the clinic setting for all cause diseases, not just COVID. You know, last week I said, quote, hopefully the lack of severity will balance this equation. Time will tell, but so far so good. This is unfortunately wrong, as we have discussed. Too much illness to have a balanced equation, it seems, unfortunately. On a different note, again, if you're watching some of the news media, the mess going on in Chicago school systems, you know, everything is, is to me, should not be related to any of this school closure stuff anymore. We shouldn't be talking about this anymore. Please don't close any schools unless we shut down the whole country, which we shouldn't do again either. We cannot have professional sports, restaurants, and bars open while kids Zoom to learn. Nope, this is a bad idea. We've proven that. End of story. Stop this game. Schools stay open. End of story. This disease is now part of our lives. We need to make the necessary adjustments each and every time a variant occurs and life gets tricky. Let's roll up our sleeves again and become hardworking citizens of this great nation. Teachers teach, healthcare providers care, frontline workers do what they do. And you know what? All the way down the line, everybody steps up to do their job. Kids deserve the best of everything and they are not the problem in this pandemic. I can't say it enough. For me, at this point, if you're vaccinated, Your risk of death is very, very, very small, unless you are very, very, very unhealthy. So remember that, and we need to get back to work. 
Remember from a few weeks ago, the CDC now's new guidelines. People with COVID-19 should isolate for five days, and if they're asymptomatic or the symptoms are resolving, no fever in 24 hours, follow that with five days of wearing a mask when around others to minimize the risk of infecting people that they run into. The change is motivated by science, demonstrating that the majority of SARS-CoV-2 transmission occurs early in the course of the illness, generally in the first couple days, prior to the onset of symptoms, and then two to three days after. This is very welcome admission of change in the face of good science that has been around for a while, and I'm very, very happy to see this. Okay, so now let's look at a couple of studies. A recent study just came out this week from Kaiser Permanente, looked at the risk of death from Omicron, and found it to be 91% less than Delta. The authors of the article state, our analysis included 52,000 cases with Omicron and 16,900 cases with Delta, respectively. Hospital admissions occurred among 235.5% and 222.3% of cases with Omicron Delta variant infections, respectively. Among cases first tested in outpatient settings, the adjusted hazards ratio for any subsequent hospital admission and symptomatic hospital admission associated with Omicron variant infection were 0.48 and 0.47, respectively. Rates of ICU admission and mortality after an outpatient positive test were 0.26 and 0.09 fold as high among cases with Omicron variant infection as compared to cases with Delta. Zero cases with Omicron variant infection received mechanical ventilation as compared to 11 cases with Delta variation infections throughout this period of follow-up. Median duration of hospital stay was 3.4 days shorter for hospitalized cases of Omicron variant infections as compared to hospitalized patients with Delta variant infections, reflecting a 69.6% reduction in hospital length of stay. This study also noted 74% less ICU care needed and 54% less hospitalizations. The reason behind these changes seems to be related to the mutations that made the Omicron variant more likely to infect upper lung tissue and the nasopharynx leading to less tissue damage in the terminal lung tissue where oxygen and blood is exchanged. This appears to lead to less inflammation downstream, downstream damage systemically. This is great news overall. When I read the study, I was very happy that it is you know, giving us data to support what we're seeing real time you know, in the ICUs and in the hospitals. So, you know, what else do we know? Well, a study from Zhu et al. looked at, you know, highly transmissible SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variant has posted a new crisis for COVID-19 pandemic control. Within a month, Omicron is dominating over Delta variant in several countries, probably due to immune evasion. It remains unclear whether vaccine-induced memory response can be recalled by Omicron infection. Here we investigated host immune responses in the first vaccine breakthrough case of Omicron infection in Hong Kong. We found that breakthrough infection rapidly recruited potent cross-reactive broad neutralizing antibodies against current variants of concern, including alpha, beta, gamma, delta, and Omicron, from unmeasurable IC50 values to a mean of 1 in 2,929 at around 9 to 12 days, which were higher than the mean peak IC50 values for BioNTech vaccines, uh, vaccinees with Pfizer. Cross-reactive spike in nucleocapsid-specific CD4 and CD8 T-cell responses were detected. Similar results were also obtained in the second vaccine breakthrough case of Omicron infection. Our preliminary findings may have timely implications to booster vaccine optimization and preventative strategies of pandemic control. So for me, this article is basically stating that if you get natural infection with the variant Omicron after being immunized, you will have an excellent immune response, which is better than the original immunization. 
These study results tell us that Omicron evaded the Pfizer vaccine, but the natural breakthrough infection elicited an excellent level of cross-reactive neutralizing antibodies against all the circulating variants of concern, not just Omicron. This is fantastic news. Omicron is mild, and natural infection is providing an excellent immunity against all variants. Another reason to question whether to boost or not to boost in your decision-making, unless you are in that high-risk category, which you should have no questions about to boost or not to boost. Again, this is data presented in order to give you choice regarding boosters, not to tell you what to do. Being exposed to other uh, four circulating coronaviruses, like somebody like me, who's a pediatrician, who spends my time around lots of other children and adults who are exposed to the typical common cold coronavirus, does offer cross-reactive, cross-coverage against Delta and Omicron. It's especially common among parents and workers who are around kids from zero to five. Think of teachers, daycare workers, pediatricians, family medicine physicians, and providers. You know, they're all in this category. We get exposed to everything all the time. You know, I remember when I first went into residency, I was sick every, every time I turned around. My body was being exposed to everything. But over time, you develop really good immunity. And I think that's the case here, that these cross-reactive coronaviruses will give us antibody responses in a faster form against the variants. You know, this, this may be a window into future vaccines where they add cross-reactive proteins from other, you know, coronaviruses in order to get a broader immune response, but we'll see what happens. From another study of Novatsi et al., they say, our results indicate that systemic surveillance of asymptomatic vaccinated healthcare workers uncovers many more cases of vaccine breakthrough or uh, vaccine breakthrough infections than symptom-based testing. The incidence of asymptomatic vaccine breakthrough infections seem to depend on the frequency of testing and not on occupational risk community prevalence. Once corrected for frequency of testing, incidence was similar in the high and moderate risk groups. Asymptomatic cases seem to clear much more quickly and higher mean antibody levels uh, than the symptomatic cases. Because of the rapid viral clearance in asymptomatic uh, vaccine breakthrough infections, our surveillance program likely missed many other such infections. You know, for me, this study was performed with Delta as the prominent variant. If you look for it routinely, i.e. your testing, you will find more cases. But that's almost assuredly unrelated to significant transmission as the asymptomatic cases, the people without symptoms but are positive, uh, are associated with faster clearance of the virus in your tissues anyway. This is very different than the super spreaders or the people that are ill, older, with risk factors, especially obesity, that are the ones who are likely to be symptomatic and spreading it like crazy. Asymptomatic cases are not the problem in this pandemic and never have been, especially in children who are low-risk spreaders to begin with. We've had many studies during this pandemic where kids are not the de novo start point of this illness in the schools. It's the teachers that were bringing it in to the kids. We need to steer away from this testing metric, especially in schools. Symptomatic testing remains the route of Omicron discovery and quarantine protocol. Avoid the desire to test everyone in schools, as you will likely find a lot of asymptomatic disease that is not causing the pandemic spread. The removal of a child from school for a positive test is not fruitful, but will continue as long as we keep testing non-ill people. So you know what? Imagine that you can get this infection two to three times a year going forward, just like a common cold for the foreseeable future. Are we going to keep these kids, their siblings, parents, everybody quarantined every time somebody tests positive, especially if they're asymptomatic? I mean, this gets insane. Think about the unbelievable volume of missed school work, life in general, just just the existence changes that will be for the foreseeable future. 
doesn't make any sense to me. We need to focus on illness and spread risk first and foremost. In other words, we need to get busy living with this virus. If you choose to remain unvaccinated and have unhealthy habits, putting you at increased risk over time, <clears throat> then you have chosen a riskier path and that choice is yours and yours alone. There remains a huge volume of unvaccinated children nationally for many reasons. Unvaccinated children cannot be blamed for an adult's outcome. The kids are not the problem. Unvaccinated and healthy people are driving the hospital dilemma. I am not judging these people as they have a right to choose their path. I'm merely stating that children are not the issue anywhere in this pandemic and they have suffered far too much as far as I'm concerned based on fear. When we look at this pandemic from the perspective of risk, you know, from the morbidity mortality weekly report from the CDC, they looked at over a million two hundred and twenty-eight thousand people who completed primary vaccination between December of 2020 and October of 2021, and they no noted severe COVID-19 associated outcomes were in 0.015 percent, and death was at 0.0033 percent. That's rare. Risk factors for severe outcomes were, as noted many times previously, age greater than 65, immunocompromised status, and six under other, under, other underlying conditions that we all have talked about many times, including heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, renal disease. 78% of the people who died had at least four risk factors in this decision-making tree of comorbidity. If you have had a two-dose series of the SARS-2 vaccines, you had a 0.0033% chance of dying. That is equivalent to 0.000033, which is 33 in 100,000 cases. If you add in the age and underlying comorbid disease risk, most of us have zero risk of dying. This data set is eerily similar to the initial data at the beginning of the pandemic. Age and comorbid disease continue to be the route for bad outcomes in all cases. This data was all Delta variant related, which means that the numbers are orders of magnitude smaller now for Omicron, roughly 91% according to this first study. So let's keep that all in perspective. So for me, again, we sit here with data points for booster decisions. To vaccinate with boosters that are minimally effective against Omicron is a personal choice that is highly, highly recommended by the medical community to protect the unvaccinated, the immune, the immune suppressed and the genetically at risk. So again, Keep presenting the data for you. You need to choose. There was an interesting article in the Atlantic magazine where they had an interesting discussion about the change in attitudes by people regarding the Omicron variant and their desires to follow current guidelines and or practice mitigating measures, i.e. they have pandemic fatigue. It was written by uh, D. Thompson. People are tired of the pandemic, the misinformation, the political involvement, and the general stress that comes along with all of the above. And this article sort of lays out why that is. And frankly, it is really true. Everybody I know is tired of this pandemic, including all the providers of care. So if you received a COVID vaccine, the longer time interval between the vaccine and a breakthrough infection was associated with better long-term immunity. Some recent data looking at this, it appears that the later breakthrough infection occurs when the antibodies circulating against COVID have waned significantly, leading to the response to come from the long-lived memory plasma cells. This results in a different response. This allows for the re robust retraining of the antigenic 
response of the immune system through the lymph nodes again, going through those germinal centers where we had talked about where the antibody variations against different variants of the viral mutations occurs. So they, they really started to look at in this study what's happening if you get natural immunity a significant time away, right? So from the article, there was a statement that says it's an interesting study, says immunologist Jenna Guthmiller of the University of Chicago in Illinois. She cautions that the results are solely correlative, but adds that they are in line with the immunologist's general understanding of how antibody responses mature over time. Guthmiller explains that the vaccination leads to the emergency blast of antibody production, as a natural infection would. If a person gets infected soon after vaccination, these antibodies are probably still circulating in the blood where they'll bind to the virus and quickly eliminate it. So thus, the people that are boosted will have very mild infections or none at all when they get uh, the booster. But when a person becomes infected months after vaccination, the antibodies that respond come from a new and improved batch made by long-lived cells that carry a memory to the pathogen. When the body encounters the pathogen again, these memory cells are called back to duty and have a chance to refine those antibodies, providing better protection against subsequent infections. This comes to us from an article by Sidik, S-I-D-I-K, et al. So for me, what's a take-home point? You know, to me, this may be the exact mechanism behind the data showing that spacing out the vaccine interval was associated with better immune responses over time. We initially did a three-week interval between doses one and two, but it looked like 12 to 16 weeks had a much better immune response. You know, so if you had a COVID infection or recent vaccine, your immune response will be correspondingly less robust to generate new protective variant antibodies to a new variant exposure, i.e. if you recently had a vaccine and get Omicron within weeks, you will not get significant symptoms, but you will also not have a great long-term immune response. My take on this data is hypothetical in that if you have a booster recently and then see Omicron in the nearest future, you'll have minimal to no symptoms, but also have a weaker long-term response. Therefore, you know, big question I have is, will you need frequent boosters in the absence of natural infection? My thought process is yes. So, you know, you get a booster, you get exposed to Omicron, you have a very quick response to it, um, where Omicron really doesn't get a chance to do anything, and then your immunity wanes within three months and you're back at square zero. So you're going to get boosted again. You know, if the vaccine wanes every three to four months, which is what it appears to do, then you're going to be set up for a current need of boosting. Or we can just get used to getting natural infection now if you're not at high risk and live our lives. So if we go back to that earlier study, if you have a 0.0033% chance of dying once vaccinated, if you don't have any of these high comorbid risk factors in advanced age, maybe it makes more sense to obtain natural disease at this point if you are young and without risk factors. You know, I'm just thinking out loud here, but that seems to start to make common sense to me. And thinking about the boosters, you're seeing countries now like Israel going for a fourth dose. And we're starting to see this in other places, right? So what's the deal with that? You had a third dose, you now you need a fourth dose. So clearly this may be a place where there is a need for this for some folks, but who? Fourth doses are being used, you know, in, in these countries for the immunocompromised primarily, which makes the most sense for me. And they noticed a 5x increase in antibody response in a few weeks. Uh, one study, they stated, uh, the rationale for these policies is supported by a range of evidence, including from the UK-based Octave study, which found that 4 in 10 people who were clinically vulnerable generated lower concentrations of antibodies than healthy recipients after two doses of a COVID-19 vaccine. 
This comes to us from Lacobucci et al. L-A-C-O-B-U-C-C-I 2022. Many of these immunocompromised individuals do struggle to respond to the normal two to three dose series, prompting the additional doses or doses. And this makes complete sense. Again, target the boosters where they're needed. For me, it makes sense. Advanced age, comorbid disease, immune suppression, boost, 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 as much as you need to. Get it. You know, when we think about the testing world, Omicron can be missed by a rapid antigen, right? The ones you're doing at home, the at-home kits, early in the illness, according to some of the new data that's coming out. There was one study by Herper, H-E-R-P-E-R-M et al., 2022, and they noticed this, that there is some lack of, of, of sensitivity in picking up these cases. But, you know, PCR still remains there as the only real reliable determinant test of COVID infection. So if you are unsure of your at-home test because it's negative, get a PCR, stay quarantined until you know. But positive tests, I think, in symptomatic people is very useful. So if you don't feel good with symptoms that seem like they are related to SARS-CoV-2, and your test is positive, I trust that. You know, what we really need, I think, is a study looking at the level and length, for me, of antibody response activity post-natural infection versus vaccination and or booster. You know, it really is time to compare whether boosters are necessary once vaccinated with two doses. I suspect for those that are healthy and under 65 years of age, natural infection after a two-dose vaccine series will have better, longer lasting immunity than serial boosting. Time and, you know, and, and a quality study could help us answer these questions, but right now we're not, we're really not seeing any of that. We're just seeing a push to boost everybody. And again, as this virus is becoming endemic and is going to be a chronic recurring thing, I'm not too sure boosting all the time makes sense. Again, to Dr. Benjamin's point earlier, right now with the fact that the hospitals are being crushed, you know, boosting probably has a lot of validity. Long-term is the question I'm sort of looking at right now. But we need the studies. we got to figure out this data. we got to look a little more closely if we can get some more objective understandings as to the why we need to do this. You know, the last piece of information that I'm going to share this week um, is related to myocarditis. Uh, there was a new article in New England Journal of Medicine, uh, the cardiology section, and they noted that myocarditis, uh, inflammation of the heart, is a rare adverse event following COVID-19 vaccination, most often affecting males younger than 30. Although vaccine-associated myocarditis appears to be significantly less common than COVID-19-associated myocarditis, uh, coverage in the lay press has fueled vaccine hesitancy. Uh, they, they noted that Truong et al., T-R-U-O-N-G, respectively collected data on 139 adolescents and young adults who experienced myocarditis within 30 days of COVID-19 vaccination at 26 centers in the U.S. and Canada. In all, 136 of those 139 cases occurred after the mRNA vaccinations, with 131 following the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. 128 occurred after the second dose. So, mostly with mRNA, mostly after the second dose. Symptoms began a meeting of two days after vaccination with chest pain being the most ubiquitous symptom. Most patients received non-steroidals. Other treatment included in rare cases, IVIG, steroids, and colchicine. Median length of the hospital stay if they were admitted was two days. 26 patients required ICU care. Two required um, vasopressors or support of blood, blood volume. Nobody required uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation or basically a, a, a pump outside the heart and none died. 
all had elevated troponin levels, which is a marker of inflammation of the heart. 97 had EKG or electrocardiogram abnormalities, and 7 had non-sustained ventricular tachycardia, which is an abnormal rhythm of the ventricles of the heart, the bigger chambers that pump. Ejection fractions were seen less than 50% in 26 patients, which is low, all of whom showed normal ejection fractions of their heart, which is how the blood pumps out the uh, the heart pumps out the blood. That's sort of the ejection fraction, how much of that's coming out per beat um, on follow-up echocardiograms. They noted that with gadolinium enhancement, which is a, a, um, a test to look and see what's going on visually, myocardial edema or um, swelling of the heart uh, was noted in, in a few MRIs five days after symptom onset. The study was Sakulas, S-A-K-U-O-U-L-A-S et al., 2022. For me, the data set is reassuring for vaccinated teens and young men because, remember, myocarditis following natural COVID infection is much more frequent. So if you get a little bit of myocarditis following the vaccination but with no severe uh, outcome risk, then I think we're okay. You know, the last piece I want to do is I wanted to uh, discuss a little bit more of Dr. Vinay Prasad's piece in, that he wrote about vaccine effectiveness going down the drain on his Substack. stack uh, website. He stated, quote, some argue that there is still a justification to boost because you can help prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed. Sadly, that argument fails in several ways. First, you have no evidence boosting younger people with slow hospitalizations. A vaccinated person already has very low risk of being hospitalized. Boosting may not further lower what is already very low. We simply have no evidence. Event rates are sparse at those ages. Second, the argument would mean that the state could tell people what to eat and how to exercise and how much food they could eat and drink. Food, drink, and obesity are drivers of hospitalizations. Instead, we have not accepted these infringements in the past. The justification for vaccine mandates is that it helps curb population spread. The latest vaccine effectiveness figures show that effect is now nearly gone and transient at best. Ergo, the mandates are unjustified. Firing nurses and other healthcare workers for being non-compliant with mandates is now defeating. We are better off having them work. Time to bring them back. Draconian avoidance of Omicron is not tenable. Omicron, or a future variant, will eventually find us all. It may even be preferable to encounter Omicron a few weeks or months after your last vaccine than a year or two later, as the infection may be milder. As I explained in a, pre in a prior post, wearing an N95 mask also makes no sense. It's time to face reality. We, you know, for him, Dr. Prasad basically states, we're here now. This thing is with us and we got to get busy living with us. You know, as you could probably tell by now, you know, this data points that I'm giving you are reflecting both sides of the booster argument. You know, for me, boost if you're at risk. Otherwise, I think you have to decide whether you want to take your chances with natural immunity as I have with two doses of an MRI vaccine and my risk is less than 0.0033% chance for death, you know, that's a question you have to ask yourself. Do you like those odds? And then the other thing is, you know, this, this virus is here with us forever. And, and, you know, I don't have much desire to get a booster every three to five months uh, based on current antibody waning realities. But, you know, these are all question marks moving forward. You know, with everyone talking third booster, fourth booster, next thing's going to be fifth booster. When does it stop when do we just live with this thing you know again these are my two cents as always review all the data and make your own choice mine is mine alone and not a recommendation for you and any of your loved ones these are very clearly just discussions 
on 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 the data and what's happening and how this virus keeps moving and shifting the quicksand under our feet that we we think we know what we're talking about but half time we don't and, you know my job here is to just present the data and what i see and that's it and everything else is up to you to make your decisions as we move forward in this pandemic endemic state you know this thing is going to change again somewhere and i'll be writing another newsletter or doing another podcast to try and help everyone understand where we're at and it's just a it's just a shifting reality and it is the the new norm of our lives right now and we just have to again get busy living with it and i'll say one last thing for those who are really interested in the pathophysiology or how this virus is causing disease with us um, I did finally finish the massive update on this theory, and it is published um, this week in the Salisbury Pediatrics newsletter. And you can get that uh, through the SalisburyPediatrics.com website, uh, and, and, and it'll be there under Section 3. If you get the newsletter already, it came out Sunday morning today, uh, January 16th, and you can read that there in its entirety. It is long, it is complex, but it is fascinating. So I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, want to read it that's cool too everything as always is here for your use if you want to uh, and i'm grateful that you're even listening it's uh it's a joy to be able to give information as best i can to you um, in a palatable form whether it be in the read uh, excuse me in the written form or in this audio form so as always remember to hug those kids Now for the obligatory disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.